Good evening. My name is Jason, and I will be preaching this evening from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's been a minute since I've preached at this church, but when I was at an RUF campus minister at Sanford, I remember this place very well and have always loved uh, Red Mountain, so it's a privilege for me to be here this evening. Uh, so thank you to the session for inviting me, and particularly Charles, uh, for having me uh, be with you this evening. So the scripture reading will be 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of an army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came to his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over me over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farbar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? And so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. And according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now. A present from your servant. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray and ask God to 
help me uh, through his spirit this evening. Let's pray together. Father, um, we do ask for your help uh, this evening. So would you come through your spirit and apply this word uh, to each and every heart here? Uh, My words uh, are far too weak to preach your word. And so would you attend to this word by your spirit? Would you come in power and speak to us and convict us and comfort us and show us the good news of the gospel through this passage this evening? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know I followed Alan Carter at Faith Presbyterian Church out on Valleydale Road. He had been the pastor there for 30 years, and I took over for Alan in January of 2017. And I remember before Alan retired, he gave me a football. I still have it in my office to this day. And he exhorted me with words that you might be familiar with. Uh, from the famous Vince Lombardi, who used to say at the beginning of every football season, men, this is a football. And he would say, some try to find things in the game that do not exist. But football is about two things. It's about blocking and tackling. And Alan, as he gives me this football, he goes on to connect that illustration of sorts to the gospel ministry. And he says, Jason, there's always going to be things that are going to try to pull the church in a particular direction. Always going to be hobby horses and fads and gimmicks that try to push the leadership or tempt them to focus on the wrong things and get sidetracked. And then he looked at me and said, never forget, the ball moves down the field, not by trick plays, not by getting fancy. The gospel goes forth by the basics of blocking and tackling, the basics of the means of grace, the preaching of God's word, prayer, community, and the sacraments. And one of the things I've always admired and appreciated about this church from its very beginning is your focus on the blocking, blocking and tackling of the Christian life. I've always loved the fact that Red Mountain has a very high view of the means of grace. And people will tell you, wise people will tell you, that the most important thing during a transition or any type of change is to remember who you are. And so in this case tonight, I want us to remember who God has called the church to be. We're going to look at this passage here, and we're going to look at this leader named Naaman, and I simply want to remind you of what you already know this evening. Remind you of who you are, what I've always appreciated about you. Three things here in this passage, in the midst of transition, continue to be, Red Mountain Church, a place of grace. Secondly, continue to be a place of ordinary things. And lastly, a place of good news. And we'll see these things in this passage. Number one, continue to be a place of grace. Look at the description in verse one of Naaman. Commander of an army, a great man, a mighty man of valor. Uh, This is saying here that Naaman is someone who is incredibly accomplished, extremely wealthy. He's a general. He's sophisticated. He is killing it at life. 
Let me put it in our terms. He graduated from a great high school. He was valedictorian, prom king, quarterback of the football team, presidential scholarship in college, got his master's at an Ivy League school. He's now a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's Naaman. This guy had everything going for him, but look how verse 1 ends. It's very subtle, but he was a leper. He was sick with leprosy. And leprosy is this nasty skin disease where your body literally rots away and starts to fall apart. Naaman was a dead man walking. He had everything going for him, but his life was literally falling apart. And what Naaman didn't realize is that he was even sicker on the inside than he was the outside because his heart didn't work properly because he had leprosy of the heart. And Naaman is a very graphic picture of each and every one of us without Jesus. You see, by global standards, everyone in this room is accomplished. By global standards, everyone in this room is successful. By global standards, everyone is considered wealthy, and yet without Jesus, we're all sick. We've got a problem with our heart. We've got leprosy of our heart that makes our heart not work properly. It makes us love ourselves more than we love God and love our glory more than we love God's glory. Uh, Ricky Jones, uh, he was an RUF campus minister a friend of mine, and he was at Mississippi State years ago, and he's now a church planner in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he tells this story about the time he had a good friend in the congregation that he had walked through lots of life together. Uh, This man had fallen into sin and had been restored. And so he had been in the trenches with this particular guy. And this guy sets an appointment with Ricky and says that he's moving away for a job relocation. And... uh, You know, that's the kind of meeting that you hate, a dear friend, someone whom you've seen be transformed, leaving your church. And this man said, Ricky, what I want you to do is call the pastors of the place where I'm moving, and I want you to tell them my story. I want you to talk to them about my sin and how God has changed me. And Ricky looked at him and says, he was taken back by this man's openness and vulnerability. And he says, what changed with you? You went from this person who led this secret life to being someone who wants to be known. And he says, I can, I can tell you exactly when I changed. It's when you brought me before the leaders of the church to confess my sin and the things that I was deeply ashamed of. And I walked into that room and I expected to get yelled at and scorned And instead, those men wept with me. And they prayed for me. And after the prayer, I expected to be shunned or to get the cold shoulder. But one by one, each of them came and hugged me. And he said, the hugs changed me. He said, it was in that moment that I realized, though I was ashamed of myself, that Jesus was not ashamed of me. And it changed my life. Remember, Red Mountain Church, that's what God wants of you. He wants you to be a church, 
a place where the people in the city of Birmingham come into and they have things in their life that they're deeply ashamed of. And instead of scorn and being shunned, you weep with them and you pray with them and you welcome them in. Instead of coldness, you give hugs. I'll never forget that Tim Keller, famous for saying the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. This is not a country club. This is a place where everyone, including Charles and the other pastors, need to be healed by Jesus. This is a place where even on your best day that you've had spiritually, someone had to die for you. Never forget that. Never forget that you are here for the city. The city's not here for you. Secondly, and more briefly, continue to be a place of ordinary things. Look at verse 7. The king basically says, it's an interesting exchange here. The king basically says to Naaman, um, you're too messed up. I can't do anything for you. Look at verses 8 and 9. He goes to Elisha, the prophet of God, and Elisha won't even see him face to face. Verse 10, he goes to Israel and he's told that if he would just wash seven times in the Jordan River that he would be healed. Just get in the water. But look at the reaction, verse 11. He went away angry. He went away angry. He says, I thought surely you would wave your hand and do some magic and cure me. And he's deeply offended by this. Why is Naaman offended? Look at verse 12. I love this. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could I not just wash in them and be made clean? And so he turns and goes away in a rage. What is he saying? Notice what he's saying. He's saying the Jordan River isn't that special. It's too plain and ordinary. I know a much bigger and better and more popular rivers than this. And what this guy is offering isn't special. It isn't spectacular. See, what we learn here is that healing and transformation is found in simple, ordinary places. In simple, ordinary ways. And Naaman hates this. And he walks away sad and in a rage. We're the same way. We often think that change and transformation happens in the radical. It happens in the spectacular. And so we chase, oftentimes, emotional and spiritual experiences. Are those things bad? Of course they're not bad. But what this passage is showing us, and what the Bible affirms over and over, and what we've seen through 2,000 years of church history, is that change happens in simple, ordinary places, like word, and sacrament, and prayer, and worship. Why? Because that's where Jesus hangs out. That's where Jesus hangs out in a special way. And yes, those things aren't spectacular and exciting and will get zero likes on Instagram. But it's how change and transformation takes place. And the ordinary things like the means of grace, never forget that. 
Lastly, continue Red Mountain Church to be a place of good news. Notice Naaman's not only insulted because it's too ordinary, he's insulted because it's too easy. Look at verse 5. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold. What is he doing? You see what Naaman's doing? I'm the man. I'm strong. I'm the commander of the Syrian army. I have wealth. And I will show the king that I deserve to be healed and cured from my leprosy. But look at verse 13. My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? It's literally saying here, he has asked you to do no great thing. And so you would think, washing in the river, that sounds easy. That sounds wonderful. Just do it. What a relief. But he goes away furious. Why? Because it's too easy. It doesn't make sense to him. Naaman is saying, do you know who I am? I'm a military general. I'm important. Anybody can get in the river and wash. A child can do that. An older person can do that. Are you telling me I'm equal to them? You see, Naaman needed the one thing he did not have, and that was nothing. He understood salvation to be something that he could earn by his accomplishments. And how often are we like Naaman? We don't believe that we can simply come to God just as we are sick, weary, needy, and broken. Instead, like Naaman, we come and we bring our gold and we bring our silver and we say, God, do you like me now? God, is this enough? Am I good enough now? And God does not work that way. God is a God that relates to his people by grace. He relates to his people and he says, the gospel is for anyone. No matter who you are and what you've done and how bad you think you are, there's a reason why the gospel is called good news. It's because anyone can be washed. Anyone can be made clean. All you have to do is get in the river and let Jesus wash you. You contribute nothing. It's free. Remember, Red Mountain Church, that the gospel is just not for the people out there. The gospel is for the people in here. The gospel's for you, and it's for me. The gospel is for non-Christians and mature Christians and everyone in between. All of us in this room need the exact same thing. We need Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that can cure the leprosy of our hearts. You know what God wants? He wants the same thing that happened to Naaman to happen to every single person that walks through the doors of this church. He wants you to get into the water and he wants you to be healed. And when you do that, it turns your life upside down. Did you notice verse 15? Look at verse 15. Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now that would have been a radical shift for Naaman. He would have had an outlook on the world that saw the influence of lots and lots of other gods. And he gets clean 
And look at what he says. There's no God in the universe but one God, the God of the Bible. He sees the world differently. And my prayer for this church is that when people walk through the doors of this church, that they will encounter good news. Not good advice, good news. They will encounter Jesus and see how good Jesus is and how good and how much that he loves them. And it will change their life so that they will see the entire world differently. That they'll encounter Jesus so that they'll start seeing their sexuality differently. And marriage differently and the workplace differently and their singleness differently because they know God. I pray that that happens to every person that walks through the doors of this church. God has been very good to give you Charles to be your next pastor. And so let me pray and ask God's blessings on Charles and his ministry and that he would continue to make, continue to make the things that I've talked about this evening a reality in this church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation over the years. And I ask that you would continue to make this church, continue to make it a place of grace and a place that loves ordinary things and a place of good news. And I pray that you would give Charles and this congregation a sense of the seriousness of the vows that they're about to take. We also ask that you would give them the grace to fulfill these vows. Help us, help this church to always remember that this is your church, this is not their church. That you love Red Mountain Church more than anyone here. That you have more invested here than any of us because you have the blood of your son invested here. And I ask that you would give us a deep love for people. Um, Give Charles a deep love for the people he's called to serve. That you would create unity in this congregation and like-mindedness as they move into this new season of ministry. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Friends, God is at work in the world. You just heard that God often works through really ordinary means, really usual circumstances, like search committees who've scoured the reformed world to find a man who seemed like would be a good fit for you guys. He uses presbytery committees who have the opportunity to rake this guy over the coals, figure out what he really thinks about the Bible and the gospel. And uh, I can tell you from experience, those examinations are thorough. Uh, They get a chance to dig around in his character and his marriage and see what kind of person he is. And so, friends, God has been at work using all these ordinary circumstances to bring Charles and his family here today. And that's awesome. That is a really beautiful, wonderful, uh, amazing thing. And God is at work right now, right here, even in this moment. And he's going to use another really ordinary thing, this Presbytery Commission, a bunch of... I know some of these guys well, and they're pretty ordinary. Uh... Ordinary guy right here, Um, but God has been gracious and will be gracious to use us. So I'm going to invite these guys up here right now. I'm going to introduce you to this Presbytery Commission. Some of these folks you know, some of you may not. Uh, Reverend Matt Clegg, Reverend Matt Long, 
Reverend Jason Sterling, and then a number of elders from your own church, and you guys can just stay where you are if you want to raise your hands so everybody knows who you are. Uh, J.B. Ward, Kevin Cordell, Stephen Parsley, and Colin Newberry. Hello, my name is Mark Long from Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. Um, known Charles for a long time. So Charles, if you would answer these questions, I hopefully in the affirmative it'd be better if you did that. It's just going to go a lot smoother. Charles, are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration in accepting its call? Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know, in your own heart, that in taking upon, <clears throat> taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of this church? Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects, becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your own ordination engagements. All right, I get to... Ask vows to the congregation. I think we should stand. I don't have any evidence for this, but I think vows take more if we stand when we say them. And you guys get one more than Charles does. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Charles Johnson, whom you have called to be your pastor? Do you? And do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love? and to submit to him in the due exercise of his discipline. Do you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you? And do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor, that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you? Do you? All right, y'all can be seated. You can tell this is an action of presbytery because it just keeps going on and on. Charles, it really is a great privilege to give you this charge. Charge comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So just one verse, ladies and gentlemen. I appeal... To you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in this process, we are rejoicing in you and thanking you for what you have done in Charles and Shonda's life and the boys, that you would bring them to Birmingham, Alabama. And we know that it's going to be a work here, just like it is in every other church. So I pray that you would be with my brother and allow him to hear this charge by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles, I hope as you 
hear Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you hear the zeal in Paul's um, appeal when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And you take time and you go back on those first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, and you're going to read about all those mercies. I mean, it's an incredible thing. You know, because when, you know, we've always been taught that wherever you see a therefore, there's got to be something before it. Good youth pastors always do that. But 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God. And then Paul tells us that the, the basis of this appeal, based on all those other chapters, is one thing, and that's mercy. Paul is telling us that all these things are based on the mercy of God. The mercy that God has shown you, and now he's called you to show others. Just like he's called all Christians, because we've been shown mercy, we're to to show it to other people. If there's one thing that's missing, for Christians in our day and age, in this present time, is we don't want to show mercy. And I'm asking you, brother, show mercy. The charge here is to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, we all have a hard time understanding what it means to be a living sacrifice. We think about the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but but that's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that has three quick things. One, it's a consecrated sacrifice. In other words, dedicated, specifically. We as Christians are called to live our lives as a sacrifice to our God and King. We're dedicated to that. And I love the way it says to present your body. There's a presentation that comes when you, as a pastor, lives a sacrificial life in front of the congregation. It's, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful presentation. Unfortunately, a lot of pastors miss it. They just want to be seen rather than see the one that has sent them. So I encourage you to remember that this, this concentrated sacrifice, it's a dedication. It, it, this sacrifice, it, it's part of who you are, and it's an act of surrender. When we think about a living sacrifice, there has to be surrender. You know, when, we had, when you do sacrifices before with animals, they don't know what's coming. But for us, we know what's coming. And for you as a pastor... You know what's coming. We thought youth ministry was hard. Work with adults. Because it's coming. Second, it's a complete sacrifice. In other words, it's saying that it can't be just part of who you are. It's got to be everything about you. Everything about your family. Everything about your character. Even even riding the whitewater. It's all going to be about that. About who you are. The complete Charles. It, that has to be part of that sacrifice. There'll be times when you're not going to be able to get on the water because somebody's called again or somebody needs you again. Are you willing? Are you ready for that type of sacrifice? And I know you. I know you will. I know you will be. I know that you'll lay things down. The one thing I'm asking you not to sacrifice, though, is your family. Don't put them on the altar of ministry. Because if your family fails, you fail. But I don't think that's what God is calling us to do when he says we're to be a living sacrifice. It's meant to be all these other things about who you are and what he's called you to. It's that practical aspect of fully surrendering your life to him. 
The other thing is that it's a clean sacrifice. That when he talks about this living sacrifice, it's clean based on your relationship with Jesus Christ, not by you. It's not by your righteousness, Charles. Don't stand in your own righteousness. But stand in the righteousness of Christ. Because there'll be moments when you, want, you know you're right. But your rightness isn't going to help other people. Be, be like Christ did when he stood in front of those so many people when he was arrested. And he was quiet. He listened. He lived a surrendered life. Well, as you hear these things, it's a simple response. How do we live? How do we live this sacrificial life, a living sacrifice? It's through our worship. It says it very clearly in this text. It says this, which is your spiritual worship. Your response to this charge is just that. Charles, worship. We don't just get paid to worship. You must be a man of worship. And not just on Sundays or not whenever there are services here at this church, but daily, moment by moment, a lifestyle of worship. Because you're responding in the only way we as Christians can to God's love for us is by worshiping him because he's worthy of anything we can say and anything we can do to bring him honor and glory. Your surrendered life will demonstrate your spiritual worship. You'll be reflecting the values of Christ. Don't, don't try to reflect anything else but reflect the values of Christ. So let me ask you this, Charles. How valuable is Christ to you? You can tell by your worship. You can tell from others by their worship. Will your life demonstrate how valuable Christ is to you and then to others? That's what worship's about. I want to worship Christ because he's valuable. And he's much value to me. And remember this about your response. And this is also your identity. It's all of our identities as Christians that we were made to worship. And like the great singer says, we're going to worship something. But we as Christians are now called to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not a duty. It's a devotion. A devotion that you're going to show and demonstrate and others will see it. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. I want to follow the guy that, or, the, or the lady that's going to be in the trenches with me. And, 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 and saying that what they're going to do is what they're going to do. Be that kind of leader. As you pastor this flock, don't forget to worship. Your life must demonstrate that over and over and over again. You know how hard it is sometimes to worship? I feel for the families that come into our church every Sunday. And I think... What kind of mess did they have to come to get through to be here right now? Because I know it's hard. This worship is hard to get to. If you will worship, these people will follow. If you want this to be a worshipful place, be a man of worship.
Alright, Red Mountain, I get to give you guys a charge and I, I get to do this from the unique position of both being a pastor and getting it, but also serving underneath Charles's ministry with you guys, so I get to both give and receive this charge at the same time uh, with everybody else. But it is a, a humble honor to be able to do this. Uh, one of those passages that um, this occasion brings out and allows us to look at is Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which just says this, uh, to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And this stuck out to me when uh, just a couple months ago, then Adam Venable brought this passage up when I was in- installed as an associate here, and he really did a great job of emphasizing the role of joy in both ministry uh, and in our congregational life. So uh, I, I think what this means for us is this is just calling us to, to lean into what Charles has been brought here to do, um, to receive it with gladness and to lean in in the way that we actually accept and receive and promote uh, these efforts that he is, that he is um, doing among us. But I just, I want to ask this question uh, that what, for us, what would bring Charles joy as a congregation as we um, are ministered by him, we, we, uh, we serve him, what would actually bring him joy? And I want to do this thing where I start off with one passage and then I jump and I talk about a completely different passage. Um, because Hebrew, uh, not Hebrews, Ephesians 4 gives us an account of where the Apostle Paul gave a vision of what a church that he would be really proud of would be like, um, of what a good functioning church looks like. And here's just uh, uh, starting in verse 15, verses 15 and 16, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together are held together by every joint from which is it equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we see here that in this connection with Christ, each one of us into the head, then we get this new kind of uniqueness and we get this new kind of togetherness at the same time. And I think one of the challenges of a group like ours and especially pastoring over a group like ours is there's a real tension between those two things of each of our uniqueness um, and the togetherness that we have been brought into. And I want to look at those in turn because I think both of them kind of answer two things that are really going to bring uh, Charles and his family a whole lot of joy as he is here in Red Mountain. And the first of those, just thinking about our uniqueness, is that each one of us in this room represent a unique way that Christ has worked in someone's life, where he has brought light into darkness, where he has brought wayward people uh, to himself, where he is mending, where he is teaching, he is enlightening all of these things. And Charles has been here to help all of us in that endeavor. He is here to teach, he is here to walk along beside of us in our highs and our lows. And one of the things I know that would be most satisfying to Charles, most joyful in his ministry, is just that we would let him into our lives. And so that he would be able to see the work that Jesus is doing in each one of us. And that actually takes something of us. And that can be something that is scary, especially when things are not going well, um, um, because who knows what it is we're going to face. But I want to challenge each one of us to open up and let him in. That is why he is here. That is what he wants to do. And I know just the, the bit that I've gotten to know Charles so far, he is a great listener. He is a humble man. Uh, he can handle... Um, the things that you say, 
Uh, he is the kind of listener that when you walk away, you kind of realize that you've said a lot more than you intended to in the first place because he keeps nodding his head and asking you further questions. And I want to say that is a really good thing. And I want us to all embrace that and let him into our lives so that he can actually see the work that, he, that the Lord is doing, which is what he has been called here to help us with. And he can't see that unless we let him in. So that's the first thing. I just want to challenge us to open up and let him into our lives. The second thing is togetherness. Um, the other unique thing that we have in as we've been brought into Christ is that we are this new kind of fellowship together where we're all different, but we are all joined together in one body. And that gets really, really complicated uh, at times. And if you were a parent, you know that one of the, and all of you had parents, uh, so you know this, uh, one of the things that grieves parents most is when their children uh, despise each other because something that is that has gone on. Uh, when they are in conflict with each other um, and when they can't stand to be together. And so what I want to put in front of you is one of the best ways to serve Charles, one of the things that he would be most delighted in seeing in us is the, actually to pursue reconciliation with each other, to pursue service for each other, to ask how we can serve each other rather than ask how we can be served um, by each other in here. And there will be conflict. This is not like it to be easy for me to stand up here and say, well, why don't we just all get along and we can you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya and it's going to be great from here on out. Uh, we can look forward to a day when we will be around the heavenly throne and pass the peace pipe with the Holy Spirit and things are all going to be great. Uh, but this is not that day. But Christ is among us and he has called us to a work to serve each other. And in the serving each other, in that togetherness, is something that will bring great pride and great, great joy and great fruitfulness to Charles. And one last thing I want to say about forgiveness, uh, not forgiveness, about uh, togetherness uh, from this passage, that Charles is one man, uh, and this applies to his whole family. His family. They are one part of this body. And they are members of each one of you, and you are members of them. And so I want to challenge us all to include them in our fellowship so that they feel that they are not here just because their job brought them here, but because they have been received into a family and they belong to us. That we would be with them in their highs and their lows, that we would share with them, we would look after them, we would take care of them because they belong to us now. That's what all those vows we just said, um, have said we just took have said this in different ways. And so those are the things that I want to put in front of you. This applies not just to Charles, but to his whole family, to, to Shonda and Trent and Gavin as we welcome them here. Open up to him to let him share in your uniqueness and also to pursue the expression of togetherness that we have in Christ. And how can we do this in closing here? Just this one little verse, if we back up in Hebrews 13, 8, then it says, this whole thing is put in the context of that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Leaders come and leaders go. Situations come, situations go. Christ is always the same. He is always with us, and that is our hope. But our gift is that means Christ is also in this moment, and he is in the ministry of Charles Johnson in Red Mountain at this time. So there is a unique way that we will know Christ here in this time that is not in any other time. I think that's something to look forward to, and I think that's something that we can throw our arms around um, and receive uh, with a lot of hope. Um, 
I think J.B. Ward's going to come and uh, pray for us. Thanks, Matt. Pray with me now for Charles and for our church. Our Father in heaven, as we gather today to witness and to participate in the installation of a new senior pastor for Red Mountain Church, we are grateful. We praise you for your sovereign work in our church. This is your church. You have called her into being. You've been faithful to her. It is you who have ordained that the Johnsons should come and join our body, that Charles should serve as senior pastor here. We praise you for your steadfast love to the Johnsons and to Red Mountain Church. We praise you for this occasion of great celebration. And Father, we also pray for your help. We are a people in need of your grace. We know that Charles, to flourish here, needs your grace. We know that we, to support him in his ministry, we need your grace. And we pray for that grace now. We pray that you would bless Charles' ministry, that his labors would be fruitful. We pray that you would use Charles to encourage and build up and instruct and challenge our community of faith. We pray that you would give Charles pathways to rest from his labors. We pray that you would strengthen Charles' marriage with Shonda. We pray that you would protect Charles and Shonda from fear, from anxiety, from temptation, from all the challenges that attend pastors and their families. We pray that the Johnson family would experience joy and flourishing in our midst. And Father, we pray for your enabling grace for us as a body of of faith here at Red Mountain. We pray, Father, that you would enable us to come alongside the Johnsons, to love them, to care for them as your church. Father, would you give us the grace to keep the promises we've made this evening? Would you help us? May we faithfully pray for the Johnsons. May we be generous to Charles and his family. May we encourage him in his gospel labors. May we faithfully receive your word that Charles provides to us. God, we thank you for Charles, and we thank you for Red Mountain Church. And we pray above all things, Father, tonight and going forward in the months and the years to come, that your gospel would be known in this place, that your gospel would be proclaimed in and through this church and in and through this man. Because you are the God who has brought salvation to us when we were still your enemies. You are the God who has called the people to himself. You are the God who has promised to restore this world to perfect goodness. You are the faithful one, and we praise you for that, and we pray, Father, now that you would be faithful to Charles and to Red Mountain Church. Praise be to you, O God, through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Charles, I'm going to invite you to come back up here along with the members of the commission, including ruling elders. I now pronounce and declare that Charles Johnson has been already ordained and now regularly elected and installed pastor of this congregation agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America and that as such... He is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Charles, we'd like to extend to you now the right appendage of fellowship.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.